HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Essex Street Cheese, an importer, wholesaler, and educator. For more information, visit EssexCheese.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today is the 28th episode of Feast Your Ears and the final episode of the season. We'll be taking a short break here at Heritage uh, for a couple of weeks and back with brand new episodes starting on April 27th. Joining me today in the studio uh, is New York native Brent Bartley, who's a Muay Thai coach, uh, student instructor, uh, and also a really, really great photographer. Um, and I'm really happy to have Brent in the in the studio today. We're going to talk about living in New York, observing New York, practicing Muay Thai, etc. So thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. When uh, when you meet somebody for the first time, um, you know, this is something that I, I, I think a lot about, um, and I've read a lot of articles recently that say, you know, you should ask what people like to do instead of what they do. Um, but invariably, I feel like in our in our culture, you always say, oh, what do you do when you meet somebody, sure, especially sure. in New York? So when you meet someone and they say, what do you do? What's your, what's your answer generally? It's a very complicated answer, and it <laughs> gives me a little bit of anxiety whenever I answer it. Um, I definitely explain that I coach Muay Thai, and then I have to usually explain what, what? Muay Thai is. <laughs> tell them it's not a drink, not a rum-based cocktail. Uh, you know, I tell them it's a national sport of Thailand. It's like their baseball. Um, doing it for a long time. I also tell them that uh, I like to play with the camera. I like to ride my bike, and I'd like to figure out a way to make put those all those things together. So. Muay Thai being the principal. So it sounds like, you know, if I was to ask you what you do and I was to ask you what you like to do, those things actually, the answer might be the same. Yeah, the answer is the same. And it's like, I'm really lucky in that regard that I kind of get to do something that I love all the time. That's awesome. So can you tell me a little bit more about Muay Thai and also, and also the listeners about um, how it exists? I mean, my, you know, I feel like 
as someone who who's aware of it, I mean, I know that it's not a drink. I know that it is a, a practiced sport, um, and some some refer to it as a martial art. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it is? Yeah, sure. It's um, they call it the art of eight limbs. It's uh, comparable to boxing, uh, in as much as that it's a ring sport. You're wearing boxing gloves. You compete against a guy in a ring or a woman in a ring. It's um, weight classes. You strike with fists, elbows, knees, and kicks. And you throw, you, you're allowed to throw your opponent. So it's kind of like a blend of kickboxing and karate and, you know, some kicking and boxing. It's it's hard to explain. It's better to watch. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I feel, you know, I, I recently have become very interested in sumo. Okay. And when I was in Japan uh, a couple of weeks ago, I tried to get tickets. Unfortunately, the, the, the sumo tournaments have gotten very popular. They weren't really for, big deal. They there. weren't for a very long time, interestingly. And then in January, a Japanese wrestler won the tournament for the first time in over ten years. So the Japanese are very flocked back, back to it, back into it again. Um, but it is, you know, uh, again something here I think that is very misunderstood, and people think of it as two fat guys banging into each other. But yeah. it's an incredibly complex sport, right? Similar to Thai boxing in that regard that, you know, most people don't really know what they're looking for. And I've, I've been doing Thai boxing for 15 years. And when I went to Thailand to train, I found that there were things that I was like lost on. I, you know, I watched five fights and I thought the red corner won every time and every time it was the blue corner. So, you know, it was a whole, whole new learning experience for me as a foreigner, as they call them, Falang. Right. So it's a so it's a judged Match. Yeah, it's a judge match unless someone gets knocked out. Right. You know, very, very much, like simple, boxing. much like boxing. Yeah. And how did you come to how did you come to be a practitioner of Muay Thai and then a coach? So uh, about 15 years ago, I was bartending. I was freelance writing and I was like doing a little acting here and there. So I was kind of, you know, living that New York downtown renaissance dream, trying to do a lot of things. And this very attractive woman came into the bar. And she had uh, what I later found out were tie pads. I had no idea what they were, but I was like, whatever you're doing, I would like to be involved. I'd like to go with you. And she was like, yeah, come on down. Um, skip ahead 15 years. I'm still here. And I actually train her now. Oh, nice. Which is kind of a funny <laughs> little turnaround. It's a, that's a, it's a good, I mean, that to me, it's very representative of like, you know, it's a New York story. It really, right? it, it really is the epitome of New York stories. And I, yeah. and I often clarify with people who, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a martial artist guy. Like I'm not like some guy who's up on a pedestal or bowing or, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying like my thing was much more shallow. My, right. the reason that I got into this was much <laughs> like there were, uh, you know, there were, I'm just being very honest. Met someone attractive, wanted yeah. to do what they yeah. were doing. Yeah, yeah it makes you know, yeah. it's, makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, talking about New York, I mean that that's a very New York story. You grew up in New York. Yeah, well, I was actually born here, and I uh, my mother got remarried, and we moved upstate. Like, so I moved, which is interesting because I just read an article about where is upstate. Like, no one knows where upstate is. Sure, I grew sure. Up in Dutchess County, which yep. is apparently anything below. Dutchess County is not upstate. Uh -huh. Well, I grew up in Westchester, so okay. I guess I also didn't grow up upstate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's arguable, right? Yeah, right. So, but my dad lives in Brooklyn, and my dad lived in Harlem. He lives in Harlem now, and he lived in Brooklyn when I was a kid. So I spent a lot of my weekends here, and a lot of my family is still here. So I spent my youth coming back and forth from sure. here to uh, upstate. 
Sure. And do you think that do you think it was that that traveling and that being in the city that led you to be the type of photographer you are of like I find your photography people should definitely definitely check out um Brent's photography online at punch drunk nyc um is his Instagram account and the photography on there um I think really does a great job of capturing not just places but people i think you you know there's a lot of portraiture yeah i've been there. trying to get a little bit more into that it takes me a little while to kind of warm up to like shove my camera in someone's face sure but, you know after a couple hours i can or a couple you know as i travel different cities and as i travel in new york i'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable with it i mean i i love the the i love people watching as I, do i clearly yeah and you know and, and looking through your 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 instagram feed feels like sitting in the city people watching and yeah. just the the breadth and width and all the different people and the different clothing that they're wearing and the different emotions that they're having and you know yeah. it really to me that's that's very interesting and and i think you do a very good job of capturing that well thank you very much camera. and thank you for checking it out i really appreciate it um and it's one of the things that that i find really exciting about new york is that you have all these people who are all doing different things and you know sometimes that will remind you of something i had an experience yesterday you know having having spent a lot of time in the city, and the city is always changing, right? Sometimes I find myself in these moments of, you know, sort of you, you fall back in love with the city. Oh, absolutely. And I think that as a New absolutely. Yorker, it, it's, it's a great experience. Yesterday I went through Grand Central and, you know, looking at everybody, looking at the ceiling, you mm-hmm. look up at the ceiling, you're like, oh, yeah, this is here. Like, yeah. this, is, this is here. We get, to go, we get to come here anytime you know, we want. One of the things that's been, that I've been talking about lately with people is, like, I've met a couple of people who are, like, I've just moved here from wherever they just moved to, and I'm, and I'm like, kind of envious of that, of that, like, everything's, like, the first time now, yeah. whereas, you know, as New Yorkers, we can get a little bitter and jaded about <laughs> things and, like, take things for granted, and, like, when you meet these people who are just here for the first time, they're super, super excited about Grand Central Terminal. Yep. They're super excited about Times Square. They're yep. super excited about the Brooklyn Ferry, uh, you know, the Staten Island Ferry. Yeah, walking over the Brooklyn Bridge, yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. whatever it is that you and I are like, I'm too busy. Like, yeah. I have to do whatever it is I do. These people, are, they embrace it. And as a guy who travels a little bit and who's been a tourist in other cities, and, you know, I've learned to appreciate tourists now whereas before i was like oh god i'm trying to get to work would you get the hell out of my way right whereas now i'm like okay you know what man this dude this person this family is really like they're living the new york dream right now like yeah. this is probably the best thing they've ever you know right. so i had that same thought I, you know i was walking up the stairs to head over to vanderbilt avenue for a meeting and everybody's standing at the top of that staircase taking pictures yeah. and i'm just like man get out of the way and then i like turn around and i was like oh well they're taking pictures of this because it's awesome yeah yeah uh, you talk about travel. You recently were in Spain. Yeah, I was in Barcelona. Um, how was that? It's fantastic. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. It's um, it's got a lot of uh, very specific culture to to Barcelona, and we did a lot of things that you know you can only do in Barcelona. One of the things we did that was really exciting. And I'm not much of a sports fan. Um, I mean, I'm a casual sports fan. Um, we went to see a football game at uh, the Barcelona Stadium. So. Yeah. It's a huge, huge deal, you know, and it was like very interesting to compare what it would be like to see a football game here, like a football game or a baseball game here. Like there's just so much pomp and pageantry here with like TVs and fancy schmancy restaurants in the stadium there. It was just this enormous stadium where these people were super dedicated to watching this game and like a couple of hot dog stands on each floor, basically. Wow. Like, you know that was it like there was nothing fancy about this thing and it was a lot of fun i mean i got to see three of the best players in the world messi right. and nehemiah and suarez you know it was fantastic 
So um, about that trip, though, I had an epiphany a few years ago, and I was just kind of burnt out with New York, and I went to Bangkok for a month. And when I got back, I realized that I hadn't traveled anywhere for probably eight years. I had been in the city, you know, and I was like, you know, I can't do that anymore. I have to travel. I have to get out of the city at least four times a year. And after that, I kind of made it happen. I started, So every season, I try to get out of the city. And one thing that happens when you get back after a trip is, like, you realize how great this city yep. actually is. Right? You go away to these awesome places, and you're like, this place is great, but... Got to get back to New York. Got to get back to New York because nothing really <laughs> compares, right? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's. I think it is real important to travel um, and get, and also to get perspective. I feel like we in New York, you know, because we do think it is, and it is the greatest city. And arguably, the, you know, arguably, we love it. And but it's very easy to have your perspective really narrowed Absolutely. to what people think that are around you, to what we see here, Absolutely. to what we're exposed to here, and you know even I mean even traveling to other parts of this country, you know, is super important to get perspective and yeah. to you know get a little distance and understand what people think. And sometimes it's to you know corroborate what you already think. I mean, I was in Japan when I was in Japan. People were asking me about Donald Trump. You know, and they're terrified over there, just yeah. like many of us, at least in this yeah. area, part yeah. of this country are too. And it was nice to sort of feel like, oh, you know, all right, well, at least we all, we agree on this, yeah. you know, to yeah. a certain extent. You know, uh, my family's all from a different country. My family's all from Jamaica. So that kind of, I, I traveled a lot when I was a kid, went back and forth, and it just kind of made me a little bit more open to other cultures and, you know, riding that line of like, when I'm at home, with my mom, my dad, I'm in Jamaica. Right. When I leave, I'm back in New York. Right. You know, and it's like, and then when I moved upstate, there was a whole other thing that happened up there, you know, from this kid from the Bronx is now, you know, so there was all sorts of identif- identity stuff that happened for me that helped as I travel. Like, sure. Makes me just more open to. Absolutely. When I was, when I was a teenager, I moved from, from Westchester County to Northern California and the culture shock was enormous. Yeah, I can only imagine. But it opened my eyes to all kinds of stuff yeah. and, and really, you know, I think allowed me to be more open. Yeah. It definitely helped me to, to acclimate to new situations faster. Um, where in Northern California? Uh, we moved when I was a kid. So we, we lived about 45 minutes north of here. And then we moved to Sonoma County, about 45 minutes north of San Francisco. Okay. So, you know, whole different scene. I mean, different weather, different, you know, attitude of people. We were 20 minutes from the beach where you could surf. I mean, a whole yeah. different, you know, surf culture was there. And, and honestly, you know, the big thing, one of the big things for me was that I went to a, I went to a school in Westchester that was very, very homogenous very white very few mexican or south american central american students very few black students and i moved out there into a school that was three times the size and was half immigrant interesting and so it really really allowed me to sort of absolutely i can completely relate because i had the exact opposite experience you know i moved out of the bronx into westchester right and i was the only. I remember specifically the teacher telling my parents that I was the first black kid that they, he had ever had in his class. Wow. You know, so it was a very interesting growing up yeah. experience for sure. Yeah, and then you were traveling back to the city. And then I was traveling weekends. back to the city on the yeah. weekends and sometimes during the week. Right. So, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. <laughs> 
Um, we're going to take a, a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, biking and Muay Thai and uh, living in New York City. Great. Today's program is brought to you by Essex Street Cheese, an importer, wholesaler, and educator whose cheeses include Comte from Fort St. Antoine, Cravero Parmigiano Reggiano, Lamuse Gouda's, Farmstead Manchego, and Sheep's Milk Feta from Lesbos, Greece. Find the cheesemongers who offer Essex Cheese in your area at EssexCheese.com. Have you listened to A Taste of the Past? It's a show devoted to connecting our current food world with its storied past. Host and culinary historian Linda Palaccio welcomes chefs, scientists, authors, scholars, and revolutionaries into the studio to discuss food culture and history from around the globe. Have you seen the culture of food change over the past 25, 30 years? It's been incredible. Linda covers content ranging from the history of black chefs in the White House to behavioral psychology and the evolution of Italian food in America. You can listen to A Taste of the Past anytime on HeritageRadioNetwork.org or on iTunes and Stitcher. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I'm speaking today with Brent Bartley about his uh, travels and life and photography. And So, Brent, you said that you, uh, you try and get out of the city about four times a year, once a quarter, once a season. Yeah, I try. Um, and uh, so where are you headed next? Uh, I might go to actually to San Francisco. I have a good friend of mine who lives out there and, you know, she always takes care of me when I go out there. So and there's really good uh, tie boxing training out there. So I can kind of write it off as a business <laughs> expense as I go out there and I do a little bit of training. That's nice. That's nice. Yeah, I, I get to San Francisco about once or twice a year, usually. Um, some of my favorite food stuff is out there. And yeah, of course, being in the food, food business, city. I can write the whole thing. Yeah, it's too. a great food city for sure. I also, I'm also trying to like save up a little bit because i think i want to go back to bangkok in mm. january i want to go for a month so i'm really kind of looking ahead to that yeah. big trip yeah that's uh and and the, man is it is it big i mean that's bangkok's got to be what that's 16 hour flight or so from here when i went the first time it was quite possibly the worst flight i ever had it was 27 <laughs> hours on a plane oh, we had three layovers it was rough Ugh. it was rough hopefully i never do that again yeah it's uh i mean you know had, like i said when i was in japan it's i mean that the trip is just you're flipped around I yeah because you're on the other side of the world yeah, it and, took me a week to recover from yeah. that uh, but i've i've helped a few people right now make that trip right now so it's kind of made me like a little envious and a little jealous and i'm excited <laughs> i think i need to go back <laughs> that sounds awesome um so uh when you travel you take photographs too yeah obviously yeah and uh, do you go into it thinking about things you want to photograph? Like, do you go to a place thinking you're going to photograph architecture or thinking you're going to photograph people or thinking you're going to photograph animals? No. You know what I try to do? I try to walk around and get lost in a city. When I was in Bangkok, that's what I would do. I would train in the morning. I would train in the afternoon. And in between, I would get on the BTS or the whatever their local train is, and I would ride it, get off at a random stop, and just walk around. And I would invariably get lost, Yeah, you know. 
and I figured I'd have a couple hours to get back to the gym. So I would just kind of embrace that feeling of being lost with the camera in hand. I'm like thinking to myself, where, where would I rather be lost? I mean, you know, <laughs> um, and then at, at some point, if I needed to, if I couldn't find my way back, I just asked someone for directions. So, yeah. and hopefully, you know, in that time, you see something that inspires me to pick up the camera. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in the modern age, it's even easier, right? You can do that and you don't even have to ask anybody because you can pull out Google Maps, yeah, right, right? right? But the, the act of doing that, of getting lost, I think is the best way to see a place. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously there are places you could go in the world where it's not necessarily safe to do that and you got to yeah. in some you know some yeah. some places you might travel it can be a little difficult but i think that that really is the the best thing we spend so much time now getting from point a to point b in the shortest fastest yeah. you know route and staring at a screen half the time yeah. we're doing it and not not getting ourselves you know out there and experiencing the place where we're at well that's one of the things about new york for me um i ride a bike a lot right and i cover a lot of ground and i spend a lot of time in different boroughs and you know, I'll often have to go back because it's like I, I covered that ground so quickly on the bike that I need to, that I get a chance to really embrace it. And like, you know, I'm very astute as I'm riding. I'm really trying to soak up as much as possible for safety. And because okay. I want to like, you know, see what these neighborhoods are. And when you make that long trip from like the Lower East Side out to the beach in Brooklyn, you go through all these different neighborhoods and you see you just watch the city change. Like one minute it'll be Russian, next minute it'll be Chinese or like South America, you know, and it's just really interesting to see those changes happen. And it's nice to have that camera. And it's nice to see them at that pace, right? I mean, that's, I had a, I had an art teacher in college who talked about the moment in the history of art where people started, um, where trains came about. And if you look at art, but once people got on trains, no one had ever seen the world go by that fast. And it changed the perspective. Yeah. And so biking, I think about that a lot, traveling around the city, biking or, or, or driving. I mean, I, I used to, I don't, I don't really have much of a commute anymore, but I used to bike a lot in the city. I used to bike from Brooklyn and up to the Upper East Side. I used to bike to the Upper West Side. I used to bike, you know, to, to the West Side, 57th Street. And I used to think about that a lot of how, but on a bike, and I also used to drive a lot. So how you, changes you take different sure. routes and you see different stuff. And then I have a friend who every year, um, on his birthday tries to walk like go on a really long walk so like walk to coney island and mm-hmm. back from greenpoint and so you think about that and what that pace and what that scope of what yeah. you can take in and what your mind can process and what you see i was um teaching in the bronx uh probably like this time last year or the year before i don't remember and i was riding my bike up there and i would kind of get there early and then just kind of cruise around and you know, I stumbled into my old neighborhood, the neighborhood that I grew up in as a kid. And I was just like kind of documenting the changes. And, you know, it's it's great to see. And like, you ride up there and there's still, still some stuff there that's that was there when I was a kid. Right. There's a bike shop that I got my first bike. It's still there. The guy told me that it was like established in 65. And like, you know, I go in there and I'm looking around and I'm just all these like weird feelings of, you know, memory coming back in this place. The cities are, you know, so much. 
Yeah, I was I was actually going to ask about that as someone who grew up in the in the city, and you're a little bit older than I am, about biking in the city. Because when I, I moved to the city in 99 and felt like there was a really, at that point, by that time, there was a well-established bike culture Absolutely. in the city. And Absolutely. there were messengers, and there were bike shops, and, like, you know, there weren't really bike lanes yet, but, you know, there were well-established bike routes, and you could bike over the bridges and things. And I'm just sort of wondering if you... You know, having grown up in it, it sounds like you got your bike when you were a little kid yeah. there. You know, how you've seen biking change in the Well, city. you know, the bike lanes, and that's in the last five years or so, yeah. like, that's a, that's a pretty big change. And, you know, sometimes you come across these, like, designated bike lanes that are completely separate. And it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to see how the city, the direction the city's going in with this. You know, there's a guy who rides a bike around, and, you know, I recognize how dangerous it can be than to see the city making adjustments for the bike lanes and as people get more and more used to it it should be interesting to see what happens in the next five or ten years yeah i mean you know so here obviously we view bikes very much as vehicular traffic and so we, we want to put them in or with the street in japan I, I saw some tourists who were riding bikes in the street and like were near i mean they were going to get like killed by a truck because in japan everybody bikes on the sidewalk it's like culturally you don't bike on the same place as the cars and the trucks at all and these people were on like a fairly major thoroughfare yeah like in the middle lane next to the next to the next to the median and i thought oh man these you know they clearly come from somewhere in the west where we're used to biking in the road right and in japan they don't do that yeah it's good to, it's good to be aware of <laughs> when you make that trip <laughs> So as someone who um, does a lot of training in a very physical sport, um, how does food play into your into your training and, and sort of what you talk about with folks that you're coaching? Well, um, you know, each person has to kind of make their own choices with diet and as far as like fighters versus people who are just training, um, you know, and you kind of have to eat toward, for your body type and everyone's different. But what worked best for me when I was fighting was uh, I would try to eat my carbs in the morning and cut the portions later at night. So, you know, cut. I wouldn't eat anything after 8 p.m. I would mm. eat, like, soup and salad afternoon, you know. Um, but I'm not fighting anymore, right? Right. So that's behind me. But I still I still am a guy who definitely has to watch what he eats So in order to make sure my clothes fit. So yeah. I try to kind of keep similar, you know, similar rules and similar similar stuff but obviously like you walk into a place like roberta's yeah you know it's hard to <laughs> hard to avoid and pizza is definitely my vice yeah it's my my favorite in new york food yeah i mean pizza and and uh it just it seems to never it's just it's so prolific it's everywhere there's 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 new york pizza and everywhere it's, and it's everywhere and even even in neighborhoods where you see the rents skyrocketing in places there's always a pizza place <laughs> yeah um, when I was a kid, I remember that was the meal. That was always the one, you know. And when I was a kid, you can get a slice of pizza for a buck. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, you can. You still can, then, but, but you're like, not going to really want to eat that dollar no, pizza. No, it's a little different. That dollar yeah. pizza. <laughs> the uh, the thing that I think about um, a lot, you know, as as someone who's in the in the food business, I feel like there's a lot. You know, there's always these events, and they're always at night. And there's cheese, and there's beer, and there's and bread. bread, and yes. there's, you know, meat, and there's food. I mean, I went out to dinner Sunday night. I went out for a friend's birthday, you know, and the reservation wasn't until, like, 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And, yeah. like, and I got home, and I'm going to bed, and I'm just like, God, I'm so full. Yeah, that's... And it's just like, I got to... It's one of those things. You, you mentioned, you know, eating soup and salad afternoon and trying yeah. to get carbs in the morning. And, like, it, it makes a lot of sense. Like, Yeah, but, like, you know, this city... 
isn't so great for that. Nope. You know, this is a food city, yeah. you know, like much like San Francisco and everything yeah. is around food and meeting for food and meeting for dinner late at night. And, you know, I try to, I try to not say no all the time, yeah. but like, you know, from a professional standpoint, like I need to maintain a certain level of fitness in order to do what I do. So I kind of have to say thanks, but no thanks a lot of times and, or pass on that hors d'oeuvre plate. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes not so easy so so you said when you were fighting so you're not you don't you don't no, compete no, anymore no, no, i don't compete anymore that's for young guys i mean this is a sport that in thailand they retire in their mid-20s early 30s you know so it's it's a it's a very aggressive martial art to say the least and yeah. like cutting weight is awful yeah yeah no one smiles cutting weight and right. you know I, I, the last thing i want to do is cut, cut weight right yeah now. <laughs> um, when you were competing, um, was it, was that, you know, at, at what level were you competing? Strictly amateur. amateur. And, you know, as I said, I, I didn't start this to be the next no, best no. Muay Thai practitioner. I just started this on a kind of a whim. And after, I think it was like eight years, I decided, you know, maybe I should see if this thing really works. Like maybe I should test, test it out. And I ended up doing a tournament and I did pretty well. I had some success. Um, and then I didn't fight again for a few years. Like I just, you know, it just never, I wasn't moved so much by the fighting as much right. as I am by the training. Sure. Like I just enjoy the training and I enjoy the camaraderie. Any kind of martial art kind of can be a little cultish. Mm-hmm. You find yourself in a room with these people who are like-minded in a way that everyone in this room is in this room for the, for their love of this sport. Right. So you find you can really develop some, some great relationships, you know, sometimes. Um, and I found that that was more what I was enjoying than the actual competition. You know, and I've talked, I've spoken to some martial artists who are really against competition, um, mm. you know, because it, it can bring out some really awful things in yeah, people, dark. you know. And l- luckily, I, I never witnessed any of that. but. Yeah. You know, I just I just wasn't something I needed to do. So if uh, if I or, or a listener wanted to go and see a competition, um, where would where where in the city is a good place to go and check? Well, that locally, out? the best um, or the biggest promotion is a uh, company called Friday Night Fights, and they do fights at the Broad Street Ballroom. Um, I'm sure they have a Facebook page. They probably Instagram all that stuff. You can find them online, and they do shows pretty regularly, like four or five times a year. So. And then there's another show that's been happening in New York also called Warriors Cup. Mm. Uh, that's also pretty good. Um, there's a bunch. Like when I first started, there were no shows. Right. Like I didn't see Thai boxing for the first six years. I never even saw it live of me training. And now like every other week, you, you, can, can, go. you can find it. Yeah. And like, you know, you look on YouTube, you can see Thai boxing straight from Thailand. Right. And it's after the fights happen. Right. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And if people were interested in learning more about it or training, where do you, where do you coach? I coach at the Henzo Gracie Academy. Uh, it's on 30th and uh, between 7th and 8th in Manhattan. Um, I'm there all the time. Uh, just show up. All right. Cool. And what is what is training? I mean, obviously, there are moves involved, right? Yeah. But what is, the, what is the sort of training regimen involved? So basically, I, I, I try to teach uh, the basics. I try to teach you from the ground up how to move your feet, how to throw a punch, how to throw a kick, how to put it together, how to defend... Uh, after a while, just teach you how to spar. After yeah. a while, usually I usually take my time with that and try to drill the basics and stuff. Because 
people tend to want to punch each other really quickly. Uh, and is it something that you feel like, um, I mean, you say that the competition side of it is really a, a young person's absolutely. thing. Absolutely. But do you think that it's something that, you know, if people are looking for something to do for physical fitness in their 40s? Absolutely. Something that... Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's not as sustaining as, say, a Tai Chi, which is something that you can do much later in life. This mm -hmm. is a much more aggressive martial art yeah. and, like, you know you get hurt like you're you're punching and kicking things really hard you know so the, the the potential for getting hurt is definitely there but you know i'm 43 and i've been training for 15 years and i see some people there training who are older than me and they've been training for a long time and you know it's one of these things i tell people it's not for everyone yeah. but everyone should at least come check it out sure you know if you like it you come back if yeah. you don't nope no at harm, least no you foul. tried it yeah, yeah. absolutely Cool. Well, I'll definitely, I'll, uh, I'm going to look in, look in my schedule and find some time. I'd love to check it out. I don't, I don't I know if it's going to be a you. thing for me, but I'd love to come. I'd love to have you. Love to come check it out. Well, thank you very much, Thanks uh, for having Brent, me. For, for being on the show. I'd encourage everybody to check out Punch Drunk NYC and, uh, and follow Brent in his photography and travels and cycling and Muay Thai. And uh, thanks so much for, for listening to Feast Your Ears. It's been, a, it's been a great two seasons here, and I look forward to coming back uh, in a couple of weeks. Thank you to Kristen Baylor, who's my producer, and to David Tatashore for engineering. And follow me on Instagram at TheFoodBaller. And you can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at HeritageRadioNetwork.org and on iTunes. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.